am I going to do? I've watched it so many times and I keep having the same feeling. I think... I think I kind of like Spider-Man 3. But I feel like no one in the world feels the way I do. I just wish I had someone to talk to. What, what, what was that? Is someone there? Remember that part where there's that cool Sandman fight in the subway? So underrated. How about that time Peter dances down the street in his new black suit? So misunderstood! What about when Harry and Peter team up to fight Venom and save Mary Jane? So good. I kinda like Spider-Man 3. I want to talk about it too, Scott. That's why I've been looking for you. Looking? For, for me? Oh yeah. I know all about you. You do? Like what? Like the fact that we've recorded 245 podcasts covering every minute of Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, so if we stop now, it just doesn't seem right to me. Wait, that you, Zach? Look, I want to talk about Spider-Man 3. You want to talk about Spider-Man 3. Together, its bad reputation doesn't stand a chance. Interested? Yeah. But where can people find us? Oh, my spider sense is tingling, if you know what I mean. And it's telling me that they should look for Spider-Man Minute Season 3 on DuelingGenre.com or wherever they get their podcasts this summer. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Hank Chu from the comic book miniseries Shadow Hero. And to help out, I am joined by returning guest Mattathias Westwood. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again, Mattathias. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. For anyone who's not familiar with Shadow Hero, this was a six-issue miniseries written by Jean Luen Yang with art by Sunny Liu. It was published in 2014, and it tells the story of Hank Chu becoming a superhero who protects Chinatown in the city of El Incendio. So, Mattathias, this one was a request from you for us to talk about. So how did you come to this miniseries called Shadow Hero? Yeah, so I've been a big fan of Jean Luen Yang for a long time. Um... His American Born Chinese is one of the classics of American comics. And um, so I heard about this while it was being developed. Um, I heard an interview with Gene about kind of what they were doing. And so I was pretty excited to read it when it came out. Yeah, and this is one that as someone who follows the comic book uh, industry, but I'm not able to get to the comic book store every Wednesday anymore or anything like that. I was like super intrigued because I, I saw like articles about it on every single comic book website and even uh -huh. some large, more mainstream uh, entertainment websites because Gene yeah. Luen Yang is a big enough name that he has crossover appeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you, you did like even just Googling this to find some trivia. I saw like interviews mm -hmm. with the New York times and NPR um, about this one when it was coming out. And so it was getting a lot of mainstream press mm -hmm. because it has this kind of fascinating history, which we'll get into in the trivia, but yeah. I had not actually read it until this week because he made the request. And when you requested, it, I was like, great. That's one I've been wanting to read. Uh -huh. uh, at this point, Gene Lu and Yang is entering our Mount Rushmore of creators. I think on the protagonist podcast, uh, uh, Neil Gaiman, 
Brandon maybe has been covered more often uh, because we've been covering Harry Potter almost every single year. We've done a lot of J.K. Rowling, but at this point, Jean Lu and Yang, I think this is the third one that we're covering. Uh, and I think producer Andrew jumping in. I think he would be like of his well-known stuff. We've covered the largest quantity. Uh-huh. You know, we've covered yeah. almost all of his well-known works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because we've de- we did an episode on American Board Chinese, we did Boxers and Saints, and now we're doing Shadow Hero. Mm-hmm. Um and so and so this is our third time uh hitting a Gene Lewin Yang text. And I've gotta say, it's worth it, guys. <laughs> like all the stuff we've covered is really good. Like every time I read it, I'm like, oh, why didn't I read this sooner? It's so good. And yeah. that was pretty much a reaction to to Shadow Hero. Yeah, he's definitely a genius. Yeah. Um so some of that trivia that makes this one interesting and why it got picked up and talked about in mainstream press is that this is not an original character that Jean Luen Yang has created uh, in collaboration with Sunny Liu. This is adapting or, or reimagining a golden age uh, comic book superhero. And it's a golden age comic book superhero that most people are not going to be aware of. Um, so when we talk about the golden age of comic books, it is immediately post-Superman's creation and appearance in 1938. There was a massive wave of publishers trying to cash in on the superhero craze. And there were a lot of characters that you've heard of that came out of this. So characters like Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, uh, Captain America. Those are all characters in that immediate rush right after Superman proves that the superhero genre is going to be a very viable entertainment uh, medium or, or, or means of entertainment for, for the masses. And, but then there, there are also dozens and dozens of superheroes that you've never heard of. And one of those was this obscure character called the Green Turtle. Yeah, and so the, the Green Turtle, um, there are about, I think, six issues published or right. adventures. I, I think he, yeah. he was part of a title called Blazing Comics, which I'm pretty yeah. sure was an anthology. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, he's got just a few few issues of this character. The reason it's significant, and the reason that Jean Luen Yang and Sunny Liu were interested in, you know, revisiting this, is it is the first American comic written by a Chinese-American author and artist. Yeah, um, um, and it, it, it can get a little murky when you're going back that far to try and pick out who was publishing what when uh-huh. undeniably uh the creator of green turtle chu f hing was one of the first asian americans working in the mm-hmm. comic book industry at all and yeah. like you're saying pretty sure he's one of the first or if not the first chinese american that was a writer artist yep and so this was during a wave of a bunch of superheroes fighting in the u.s military war effort right this was during world war ii and so every publisher was trying to have their military heroes that's how Wonder Woman and Captain America started yeah. their adventures. Though, though I will um, say, Captain America actually predates yeah, the U.S. century the war. in the yeah. war, but he's punching Hitler yeah. in the face on Captain America number one, and uh, Timely, I think is the yeah. one that was publishing at the time, got hate mail from isolationists yeah. who were not pleased to see that. But yeah. at this point, yeah. America's fully in the war, yeah. and the yeah. patriotic fervor is on full display in yeah. the Golden Age comics. Yeah. And so Chu Hing, as an artist, um, he's, he's created this character, Green Turtle, who is fighting in China. And so you, you've got a Chinese American artist creating a superhero fighting not you know in Europe, but fighting against the Japanese in China with um, Chinese guerrilla soldiers, um, and this is kind of a mysterious character in several ways. In the original comics, um, you never get a backstory. There keep being these moments where 
his sidekick or another person is asking to know, like, how did you become the green turtle? And he's just about to start telling them. And then, like, there'll be an explosion or a bunch of Japanese soldiers will show up. His sidekick and it gets called, cut off. called Burma Boy. Yeah, Burma Boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also his face is never visible. Um, he's frequently like throwing an arm in front of his face while he's punching someone or you see him from behind. And so he, he wears this mask, but even beyond the mask, right? You never see his eyes or facial features through that. Um, and then there's this really weird turtle shaped shadow that keeps showing up. Um, kind of just standing there and it, it, it's a shadow, but it has a, a smile and eyes in it. And it's just lurking over the Green Turtle's enemies throughout. And this is never explained within the narrative. Never explained at all. Um, And so there's grown up a set of rumors around Green Turtle as a character. And the the kind of rumor that's impossible to document, but that was really powerful for Jin Luen Yang as a Chinese-American comics artist, is that Chu Hing wanted to write a Chinese-American superhero. But his publisher said that, you know, no way. Not going to sell. Not going to sell. Not, you know, we're not going to touch that. Um, but he didn't give up, right? He does these things that set it up so that you can interpret the character as Chinese-American because you don't see his face. You don't know whether his facial features are more European or Asian. Um, you don't know his backstory. So... And then his his costume has these Chinese cultural elements. There are other Chinese elements in the story because he's fighting in China. Um, but then in terms of the coloring, which wasn't done by Chu Hing, right? That's something that the publisher did with the printing. He's bright pink. <laughs> which uh, uh, There's an afterword in the Shadow Hero trade paperback collection in which he says, maybe this was an effort to just ensure that this is a super Caucasian character, like a yeah. really bright pink. We, we, you can really tell, like, this can't be Asian. Asian people aren't, like, day-glow pink. <laughs> um, and so it seems like there's this struggle between artist and publisher over what is the identity of this character. Right. So so in the text itself, there's some ambiguity about what the race of mm-hmm. this character would be. There does seem to be a move that was done not by Chu Hing, but by the publisher to say, well, he's he's Caucasian. But the way the art is drawn with all this um, obscurity around the actual features of the character and the, the way the writing is done to never hear a full origin story, there seems mm-hmm. to be a possibility of a, like a winking nod saying, this is an Asian yeah. hero, guys. This is this is an su- Asian superhero. And so when Jean Luen Yang hears about this, he's excited. He's working with Sunny Liu, who's also... Um, an Asian American artist and um, from Malaysia and they end up working together to kind of create an origin story for Green Turtle that cuts against the grain of this publication history mm-hmm. to solidly establish the Green Turtle as an Asian American superhero. And in some ways, it's almost like they were given this very random writer's prompt. Of, <laughs> Here's the story elements you have to include. A turtle shadow, pink skin, uh, fighting against uh, Asian criminals, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or an Asian invading yeah. force is what it was in the original comic. Yeah. In this case, they're going to make it into an, a, a, an yeah. Asian set of criminals. Yeah. And make all those pieces fit together in a puzzle. Yeah. And in a way that the original narrative just doesn't do. Uh, yeah. And I think they're very yeah. successful in picking up all these really random, obscure pieces and making a story out of it that allows you to think, oh, this is the origin story of this 1944 
Golden Age character that we never actually got the origin story for. I also love, just as one last thing on the original Green Turtle outside of Shadow Hero, there's a brief moment where his secret hideaway as a superhero is introduced as the Turtle Shell, which is a great name <laughs> for a turtle-themed superhero's secret hideaway. Just gonna say Surprise that. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Tur yeah, Turtles how yeah, to use this. He has the Turtle Shell. <laughs> Let's go back. And he has a turtle plane. Like, th this was very... I, I wish we had more of the original Green Turtle as well. Yeah. Um, so before I give you the summary of how Jean Lu and Yang and Sunny Lu are going to pick up these seemingly random pieces of story elements and make something cohesive out of it, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers to talk about the books we've been reading. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss so if you have a favorite character you want us to talk about uh that's a way you can make us talk about them all right, here's the full discussion uh, or summary of Shadow Hero. In issue number one, in 1911 China, the Qing dynasty has collapsed. The spirits of the dragon, the phoenix, the tiger, and the tortoise hold a council. Dragon speaks of the need to find a new bloodline in which, uh, with which to establish a dynasty. But tiger says that's impossible, and phoenix says the world has changed too much. Meanwhile, tortoise is silent, and the next day tortoise finds a drunk young man on a boat that is heading west, and he makes a deal to bind his spirit to the man's shadow. Years later, a young girl named Hua comes to the uh, with her family to America. And it's not as enchanting as the nearly magical land she had been promised. <laughs> they're, they're living in a very small apartment. It's much dirtier than she was led to believe it would be. Um, eventually, she grows up and marries a nice grocer, and they set up a shop in Chinatown. They have a son, Hank, who grows up helping his dad in the store, while his mother works as a housekeeper for a wealthy American family. One day, Hua is waiting in a car when a bank robber jumps in and pulls a gun and tells her to drive. She is saved by a costume superhero called Anchor of Justice. Just imagine, like, a superhero, a Superman analog. Like, just cape, flying, yeah. Caucasian man. That's what we have there. If uh, the Department of Justice sponsored Superman, this is what he would <laughs> Yes. And Hua wants her now teenage son to become a superhero. She has a new mission in life, and it's to make her son into a superhero. So we should number two. Hua starts trying to get Hank to obtain superpowers. She takes him to the site of a chemical spill and pushes him into it. Uh, she feeds him strange herbs. She has him get bit by animals that have been experimented on. Uh, but the only change that happens to Hank as a result of all of her mother's experimentations is that his skin turns a bright pink when he gets wet. Uh, but otherwise, no superpowers. Oh, and I meant to say, uh, this is going to be key, about uh, the original uh, gold, uh, or uh, um, the original turtle uh, from the Golden Age, he doesn't have any explicit superpowers, but he gets shot out a lot, and the bullets never hit him. And that's something else that Gene Luen picked up on. So no explicit superpowers other than a seeming ability to never get hit, which is a very common aspect of of uh, adventure characters in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, discouraged that her son has not obtained any superpowers, Hua takes Hank to get martial arts training from an old friend of hers named Wun. After weeks of training, Hank is much stronger, so Hua makes him wear a green costume with the name Golden Man of Victory stitched on the front, and she takes him out to go looking for crime. So they're going to go patrol together, and they see a man bothering a woman in a red dress, and Hank goes to try and protect her, but... 
he gets beaten up badly. And then that woman throws knives to wound the attackers, and they run off. And she has now saved Hank instead of the other way around. Uh, issue number three. Hank's dad has been paying protection to a gang for as long as Hank can remember. While his dad is nursing Hank after the attack that he suffered trying to save that woman. Um, they hear a knock on the door and his father panics and he runs down and he grabs money to pay a man named Mr. Mock. Mr. Mock takes the money, but he demands a double payment because his father, or because Hank's father was late. Hank's dad says, we don't have that kind of money. And Mock's goons beat him up. Mock takes a jade necklace from around Hank's dad's neck. Hua is ashamed that her husband and her son have been beaten up basically in consecutive days. Uh, and her friend Wun comes to watch the store, and he tells Hank that the man who beat up his father is named Mockbeak, and he was a leader of a gang called the Tong of Sticks. There were two Tong gangs uh, that had a gang war years ago, but they have since sworn a truce. Hank decides he needs to put the costume back on and go after Mockbeak. He finds Mockbeak and attacks him, and he successfully gets his father's necklace back. Hank shows his mom what he has done, and he tells her how he got it, and she is proud of him. But just then, Mock Beak and some goons come to the store and they shoot Hank's father in front of Hank and Hua. At the funeral, a tortoise spirit leaves Hank's father and asks for permission to live in Hank's shadow, but the spirit must grant Hank one promise. Hank says, promise me I'll never get shot. Issue number four. A man named Detective Lawful, great name for a cop, uh, is uh, working the case, and he tells Hank he believes that Mockbeak did kill Hank's dad, but the reality of the politics of the city is making it very hard to pursue the case. Even though nobody comes to the store anymore, Hank has to go deliver money to Mockbeak, and when he does, Mockbeak tells Hank to get on his knees to give it to him. Hank refuses, and a henchman pulls out a gun and points it at Hank. The turtle uh, spirit reminds Hank that the promise was real, and a Hank then asks the turtle spirit what his dad asked for and the turtle says he asked to never drink alcohol again, and Hank knows that his dad never drank, so Hank refuses to kneel down. The henchman fires the gun, and the bullet curves over Hank and hits a different henchman. Hank now runs away and later sees more thugs going into his family store. Uh, Hank helps uh, Woon to fight off the thugs, and Hank knows that the goons are going to be back. So that night, he puts on the superhero costume and mask and calls himself the J-Turtle, and he goes to talk to Detective Lawful. Lawful says Mockbeak is protected by a bigger criminal organization that is headed by a man called Ten Grand. Uh, to arrest Mockbeak, he'll have to take down Ten Grand. Lawful tells uh, the Green Turtle, or Jay Turtle at this point, that the only lead he has is that a motorboat comes every few nights to pick up Chinese men from a spot under a particular bridge. Hank goes and he hangs out there for several nights until he is also picked up by the boat. On the boat, someone gets suspicious of Hank and shoots him, but the bullet moves around him again. Uh, the Spirit Turtle reminds Hank that he needs to act like he just got shot, so Hank throws himself into the water and swims to the island the boat is going to. And once he's there, he sees a giant casino called the Palace of Forbidden Fortunes. He's changed into his costume, and because he was swimming, he still has the bright pink skin that the Golden Age um, Green Turtle had. Uh, but now he sees where he needs to uh, go to. Issue number five. Now calling himself the Green Turtle, Hank sneaks through the casino and sees a very racist caricature of a Chinese man calling himself Ten Grand, who welcomes his guests, and among the guests are the chief of police and the mayor. Meanwhile, Hua realizes that Hank is gone, and she goes to get Wun to help her look through the city for him. Green Turtle captures Ten Grand and defeats several henchmen. The woman in red is there, and she tries to stop Hank, but she misses while throwing her knives at the Green Turtle, which her sisters, one is dressed in green and the other is dressed in white, they find this very suspicious. An old man says he needs to speak with Red Center, so this is the name of the woman in red, is Red Center. Green Turtle takes Ten Grand to Detective Lawful, where they realize he's just a white actor in yellow face makeup who was doing this really racist caricature of 
a Chinese man. Lawful realizes that this isn't really ten grand, and he goes on a racist rant about the sneaky, slant-eyed criminals that run Chinatown. He looks at Green Turtle and realizes that Green Turtle is Chinese, and Lawful feels ashamed. Issue number six. Red Center finds Hank and tells him to put on his costume and go out on a date with her, basically. <laughs> she takes him to a diner. She tells um, him that her father, uh, Ten Grand, has has this origin story. He was an orphan who was taken in by an old man called Uncle Useless. Uncle Useless trained kids as criminals. I uh, think like Fagin, right? <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and, uh David, Oliver, uh, Oliver uh, Twist. Oliver Twist. Yes, I was about to say David Copperfield. The wrong one. <laughs> wrong Charles Dickens in Oliver Twist. Um, one night, Uncle Useless reveals uh, that he was a eunuch serving the Emperor of China until the end of the dynasty. Then he came to America and started building a criminal dynasty. Now he wants to pass it on to his most worthy successor. He locks the children in a room and says, when there's only one left alive, they should knock on the door. If there's more than one alive when he opens the door, he's going to shoot them all. Red Center says she's never been told which of the children started the fight, but she knows her father was the one who knocked on the door at the end. Woon sees Hank um, and Red through the diner window and tells Hua where her son is. Then Red says that her father is looking for a successor, and she tricks Green Turtle into falling through a trap door that leads to a fighting ring. Uh, where Mock Beak and another criminal named Big Cookie are standing. The real Ten Grand announces that whoever wins this fight will be his heir of his criminal empire. Uh, during the fight, Mock Beak shoots Big Cookie and kills him, then tries to shoot Green Turtle, but it doesn't work. Green Turtle gets control of a knife that Mock Beak had, but just then his mother walks into the ring. Ten Grand stops the fight out of the res- out of respect for a mother. I love this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is truly classic. Yeah. Uh, Hua realizes that Hank is winning the fight against the man who killed her husband, and she tells him, good job, and then she leaves. And then the fight is back on. Hank knocks Mockbeak unconscious and is about to take him to the police when Ten Grand says, no, no, you have to kill him. Hank refuses, and Ten Grand jumps down into the fight ring. The turtle spirit sees that Ten Grand houses the dragon spirit. Dragon spirit reveals that Ten Grand asked for his promise that all my fights would end with my victory. Green Turtle uh, is definitely going to lose this fight. <laughs> so the fight starts uh, again, and um, even though he's blind, Ten Grand is easily winning. But Green Turtle thinks about the wording of that promise, and he yells, Ten Grand, you win. And then Ten Grand can't continue fighting anymore, because again, the wording of his promise was that all my fights would end with my victory. Uh, Ten Grand laughs and says that that was very clever, and now Green Turtle can do whatever he wants to do with Mockbeak. He like gained his respect by this trick. Uh, later, as Red Center, or later on, Red Center visits Hank and says she and her sisters are running the crime organization, but they could use Green Turtle even as a figurehead. But he refuses. Then uh, one night, when Green Turtle is out patrolling, Anchor of Justice sees him and he says it's an honor to meet him. He uh, and Anchor of Justice says they're going to be called on soon to help the Allied forces in the coming war. And Green Turtle says he will help his country. And as a sign of trust, Anchor of Justice reveals that he is an alien and not from Earth. The end. So, Mattathias, what do you make of this origin story for the Green Turtle? So, I think it's really awesome. And there's so there's a lot that's happening, obviously, in that summary. I don't think a summary can fully do credit <laughs> to everything that's going on in this, because there's there are just these really interesting tonal balances where there are these comedy moments but it also has this like really moving family story at mm-hmm. the center. Um, and right. 
interesting yeah. action. Yeah. Um, along with these meditations on like identity and relationship to nationality and culture, right? And all these things. Yeah, some of my favorite moments I wasn't able to really plug into the summary because it's just the bare bones of the plot. Um, Yeah, and there's a lot happening (laughs) plot-wise that works out really well, right? Yeah. And and it's never confusing. And connects all those elements from the Golden Age version. Yeah. Um, two of the moments I want to make sure we touch on don't actually feature um, Hank too much. Mm-hmm. It's Hua and then Detective Law, uh, Lawful. I want to talk about both of them. Uh, first, with his mother, Hua, I think she's a really interesting character. And she reminds me a bit of... Um, oh, now suddenly I'm, I'm blanking on the on uh, the character. But it's a character that I think we've seen twice in two different stories that we've talked about. The tough-as-nails woman that then also has the heart of gold underneath. And in Anne of Green Gables... The woman who helps run the farm, I can't remember her name. She definitely fits that mold um, where you think she's just the mean old lady, but then you find out she's one of the most loving people <laughs> in the story. And then also in The Book Thief, um, again, I can't remember the names of the characters at this point, but uh, the the house that um, the girl goes into, uh, mm-hmm. there's what seems at first to be just the, the kind, loving, long-suffering husband and the very mean wife. And then eventually you see cracks that show how much, how loving the, the wife is. Mm-hmm. And I think who is a bit like that um, in some of the beats that we see. She seems very harsh um, and um, uh, demanding of both her husband and her son. She wants her son to be a superhero and she does all these insane things to try and turn him into a superhero. Yeah. But then after he gets beat up and after her husband dies, she is becomes very protective immediately uh, mm-hmm. of him. Uh, and, and it's a turn, you know, th- that yeah. you see there. And then also um, when she's out looking for him when she realizes he's gone out as a superhero i can't remember the exact line but she kind of says i had a husband who i didn't deserve and i'm not going to lose the son i don't deserve either (laughs) basically is what she says yeah yeah i think that's pretty much exactly the way it's framed um and then yeah i also in terms of what you said with those two i think you're exactly right about hua i think like the inciting incident in this story is her having this encounter with the anchor of justice and deciding that her son is going to be the first Chinese superhero. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then she's relentless in pursuing this. Um, and then that that creates this drama in the first half because Hank really doesn't want this. Right? And he doesn't it's have entirely, superpowers. Yeah, it's not like he has a responsibility yeah. he's not living up to. Yeah. His mom is kind of putting yeah. a responsibility on yeah, him. She's trying to create this. And all he wants is to be like his dad and run the grocery store. Yes. Right? So it's not like a Batman origin story about yeah. revenge or a Spider-Man yeah. origin story about guilt yeah. or yeah. even a Superman origin story about duty. It's, yeah. This is about... Yeah. This is... Uh, his the, mom. This <laughs> immigrant mother's ambitions, right? <laughs> that, like, we we will arrive, we will truly become and be accepted by this nation when we can do have a superhero, right? Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. right? Have a superhero in the family. Um, yeah. And you're going to be the one who who raises us all up to this status. But Hank is just not interested. And so in the first half, right, you've got her trying to push him and him pulling back and trying to avoid it. Because he's like, no, mom, you don't you don't get how this works, right? <laughs> this is not something you can just make yourself into a superhero. Like, and this isn't what I want from my life. And then there's this very sudden change after his father dies, right? He's he's willing to kind of go along with what his mom's trying to do just because he knows he, she's so persistent. He can't avoid it. But then suddenly he has a reason to be a superhero. 
Yeah, this is where but you she no longer wants wants that. Any part of yeah, it. this is where you see some of the Batman or yep. or the yep. uh, the Peter Parker origin. Yeah, of yep. the you know the death of a loved one that's going to become the motivating factor. Um, and like you said, that's no longer her motivation. Her yep. motivation is now protect my my son. Yeah, there's a, in fact a very direct um, Batman call out in that moment. Right, this villain has just shot his father in front of him, and then threatens him tells him that he needs to learn his lesson and says, at least you still have one living parent. Good night, Mr. Superhero. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, And familiar as we as readers are with the history of parental death in (laughs) superhero origin stories, (laughs) right? That at least you have one living parent. It's home. What's happening? Yes. There's um, a chapter in a book by Danny Fingeroth, who was a longtime writer and editor in the comic book industry. And the book is called Superman on the Couch. And it's about analyzing superheroes. And, and one there's one chapter called Storm of the Orphans. Just mm-hmm. about how so many of our superhero origin stories deal with this death of parents and the orf- mm-hmm. orphaning of a child um, as one of the, the motivations um, that's going to drive them. And uh, I, I think there's this acknowledgement of that trope, but also it like sidesteps it in, by not fully in, you know, doing the, the death of both parents and leaving him solely as an orphan who's going to be driven purely by revenge now. Um, and uh, I think all of that adds complexity to who is character who could have been kind of a one note the the tiger mother stereotype of yeah. of like you said the the immigrant yeah. um, mother mother figure but I, I think it adds and deepens her character that we see these shifts in her desires for her son yeah and they definitely they play on those stereotypes in these fascinating ways that switch them around so much in mm-hmm. this story right there are these moments that are call outs if you've seen like any classic that's around these sensationalized mm-hmm. depictions of Chinatown, right? Like any noir yeah. set in Chinatown, like Detective Lawful is the noir cop who's pulled into this chaotic world of Chinatown. And there's the politics um, of the mayor, the police yeah. chief, not wanting him to actually exactly. look too closely. And the, right. And these competing gangs, right. But then it gets turned around in this really powerful way because we see the normal people of Chinatown trying to live their lives mm-hmm. and balancing their ancestral traditions and their desire to live in this new world. Yeah. Um, and then, right. And you have these moments like straight out of big trouble in little Chinatown <laughs> and things like that. And you have the Fu Manchu, right? Yeah. The, they're always switching. Right. Right. So like and the most racist caricature of um, this kind of Chinese uh-huh. supervillain is the, the first version of 10 grand yeah. uh, that, that we see. Who turns out to be a white man in in yellow face. <laughs> Which is exactly the history of, of that Fu Manchu caricature. Yes. Right? That anytime this showed up in films, etc., it was. Yeah. This is all a creation of white men who view this as this artistic way. Yeah. Or, to, or, or, or it, it, yeah. that's in like film portrayals, but also like yeah. the, the original Fu Manchu yeah. is it's a white writer telling yeah. this story. Exactly. Of this fear of the other. Um, and, uh, and it gets. Yeah, you know, it's something that um, Jean Lu and Yang acknowledged in American Born Chinese yep. with the yep. the cousin character, that, uh-huh. like the the annoying yep. sitcom cousin character that showed yep. up, uh, that was embracing all those kinds of stereotypes, uh-huh. and definitely yeah. is. Um, when, when I first saw it presented, I'm like, I did not expect uh, this broad of a yellow face caricature. Yeah, in here, but then they pull it in, and then, then they play with it and, and reverse it. Yeah, <laughs> with this showing how it's this exotization created by this washed up white actor, uh-huh. right? 
for the benefit of the mayor and police chief. The, the white audience that they're right. taking money from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and then Ten Grand, the Ten Grand, when we meet him, right, he still is, in many ways, like a kung fu film. Right. The blind master. Character. But he has this much more complex history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's a, he's a really compelling character as well. Yeah, and and um, so you you see some of the strips like the blind kung fu master, but then also mm-hmm. the moment when he like breaks down in laughter and says, "You beat yeah. me!" Yeah. <laughs> like that that was such yeah. an unexpected moment of like it taking yeah. joy and having been outwitted yep. in such an unexpected way. Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I and that um, moment I, I like I didn't really highlight, but throughout the story, the turtle shadow or the turtle spirit has been telling him. You really should have thought about your promise more, because the wording really matters. If you yeah. had said, no weapon can harm me, no weapon would harm you. But you said, like, I don't want to get shot. Because, and, yeah. But that's motivated in the moment, right, yeah. of having just seen his father, uh, you know, uh-huh. be, be shot in front of him. Yeah. And, um, and, and so he's like, the wording of his promise, like, keeps getting, rem- yeah. is reminded, you know, yeah. uh, to the reader yeah. and to Hank several times. And that becomes yeah. the way that he's able to defeat his, his greatest foe. Yeah. Yeah, but back to what you were saying with Detective Lawful. I think there's a, this is also a really interesting moment for that reversal mm-hmm. um, of stereotype. Um, what do we get from, right, here's this white character who in, right, if this was Big Trouble in Little China, Detective Lawful would be the main character here. Yeah, and it would be a white right? savior role. Yeah, but um, what we end up getting with Detective Lawful is a guy who complex. wants to do his job well, but is being hamstrung. And in this case, the green turtle has to kind of do the job for him. And that yeah. allows him then to successfully do it. But the most powerful moment is that he does this racist rant when he's when he's so angry at 10 grand for running the city in a way that is preventing him from being able to uphold the law. And he uses some, some slurs along the way. But then he realizes green turtle must be Asian as he's looking at him. And he hadn't noticed probably because of the glowing pink skin because it's always raining when he sees him um, and every time, you know, every, every time before. And there's this conversation that said where he says, Hey, about the other night, I deserve a punch in the face. I was just real worked up, you know, honest God, those words. And then Hank says, they're not who you are. And then he's taking a drag on a cigarette, like a noir cop. And Detective Lawful says, nah, that's not true, but they're not who I want to be. Which I think is, like, this moment where, like, the utter forgiveness or is, like, denied. Like, he's denying it to himself. He's like, no, don't forgive me. I need to be better than that. I need to be better than what you saw. And a lot of times in um, every kind of media, when you have these moments of, like, an ugly prejudice rearing its head, it gets forgiven very quickly. Like, there's just (laughs) an apology, and then we move on. And the way he says that is, you know, that, no, they're not who I want to be, instead of that's not who I am, which is one of the go-to excuses that you see all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really powerful way to show um, a character growth. Yeah. Um, not to say I'm better now, mm-hmm. but saying yeah. I'm going to work to be better yeah. than what you've seen me at my worst. And this contradicts who who I'm trying to be. And that's the Detective Waffle character, right? Um, in Noir, you've got this conflicted hero, right, at the center, right? Mm-hmm. Who, right, they're trying to uphold the law, but then they break the law to uphold the law, right? And <laughs> so that is a tradition of this genre, but it's used here in a way to address racial prejudice and racialized depictions of Chinatown, which are also kind of crucial to noir mm-hmm. and its history as a genre. Yeah. Um, and you see Detective Lawful saying, like, th- this is one of his obstacles to fulfilling his mission in Chinatown. It's not just the obstacles he faces from the Tongs 
or from his boss, right? Who's corrupt. Who's corrupt. Yeah. Right. But it's also his own way of viewing Chinatown as irreparably foreign and corrupt and backwards that he needs to change. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment um, before they have this conversation when when he's actually just gone on his tirade, Hank starts walking out and Detective Waffle runs after him. Um, and there's a moment where it looks like he's going to tell him, like, no, you can't do because, yes, Hank, what he's going to do. And Hank says, I'm going to go avenge my father's death, pretty much. And it looks like he's going to try and talk him out of it. And then he just hands him handcuffs and says, you know, you're the one with the power to decide what happened in Chinatown. Well, it, right? But he also says, I and know how easy it is yeah. to lose it and yep. choose yep. ending it instead of justice. Right? Yep. Like to choose yeah. killing a criminal instead yep. of bringing them in. He's like, I know yep. you're going to face that moment. That's coming yep. your way. Yep. And so I want you to have the option of just handcuffing him. Yep. And it, it's up to you, right? He's saying... I I trust you to be the one who decides how justice is served in your community. Yeah. Um, which is this moment where he really accepts the Green Turtle as a full partner Yeah, in this, knowing at this point that he is Chinese. Yeah. And I, I think this text is really interesting because, on the one hand, so much about um, China and Chinatown and all these Asian characters is centered, but at the same time, it's also just... Um, playing with some of the generic tropes of superhero origin stories. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is just a good origin story, not a good Asian-American hero origin story, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, a, 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 but, although it's... You can't separate. Also a great Asian-American yeah. origin story because of the way it's pulling in, right? The mm-hmm. uh, All these tropes yeah. that you have come yeah. to expect, but then twisting but, them and and also centering yeah. a lot of that Asian-ness yeah. in this. And I think one of the most interesting things that... Uh, does that is um, okay. So, so the comic book history, uh, like a lot of entertainment media, is not the most diverse in its origin mm-hmm. days in the 1940s. Yeah. It's a lot of white men, yeah. <laughs> um, not exclusively, but it yeah. is an awful lot of white men. Uh, you do have some women who enter, but very few heroes of color uh, that are going to be presented in this. But the move that it does at the end to have the Superman analog remind readers that hey, <laughs> I'm not. My or, parents aren't from here either. Yes. is what he says. Right, so he's identifying himself. With this immigrant character. As a way to build trust. As and, a way to build trust. And right. to build a bond yeah. uh, between the two of them. Which is true that like the yeah. first superhero that codified all the elements of the genre and that made it into a phenomenon was Superman, who is this immigrant tale. Um, mm-hmm. And Superman was created by two first-generation Americans who were children of immigrants who had come from um, from Europe, a war-torn you know, country. Which... Uh, and so it's acknowledging this early superhero was part of this wave of heroes that were inspired by an immigrant story. Yeah, which Gene Luyang has this really strong argument that if you pay attention, Superman actually is Asian American, right? Because, like, he has this super straight-laced presentation, right? Studious, the glasses, right? Parents who have driven him to excel, (laughs) right? But he has this more complicated ethnic heritage from this other place. And sometimes he dresses up in like the ceremonial clothing <laughs> of his ancestral homeland for special events. So there, there's a lot right. of uh, connections so there are, that yeah. he's able to There to are draw connections that. you can draw. And he, so uh, there, Gene Luyang has more. written Superman yeah. in the past. And I saw that he is also yeah. um, going to be adapting a storyline from the radio serial. 
Mm-hmm. From the Superman radio show, there's a very famous Superman story called Superman against uh, versus the Clan of the Fiery yeah. Cross, which yeah. was a very thinly veiled stand-in for the Ku Klux mm-hmm. Klan. At a period when the Ku Klux Klan was on the rise in mm-hmm. influence in America, uh, the Superman radio show did this story, and Gene Lun Yang said he he was listening to it and he never knew, like he'd heard of the story, but he never knew that the inciting incident for the prejudice that Superman's going to have to address is a Chinese American family moving into this apartment complex. I think where Jimmy Olsen lives, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. right. I've listened to the, but it's been years since I listened yeah. to that particular storyline um and so gene lu and yang is doing i believe a comic book adaptation of that radio serial story um that's gonna be coming out next year i hadn't heard of that yeah that's it was awesome. just announced in the last week yeah one. well good and so he definitely has a strong affinity for superman yeah uh, and the yeah. the anchor of justice is just very obviously a superman yeah. analog <laughs> yeah um yeah so we've talked about some of the side characters uh-huh. what about hank himself what do we get yeah. from Hank, well, I, so I guess maybe before we dive into that, just acknowledge his dad has an interesting backstory that is almost left entirely off the page. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. implied yeah. that he his relationship with the turtle uh, spirit is deeper than we know. And um, mm-hmm. that when we see him as the drunk man, that he's he knows he's in a bad way. Like, if his deepest wish is to never drink again, he's an alcoholic who doesn't want to be an alcoholic and finds, by chance, this mystical solution to that. Yep. And yeah. this is deep backstory. So the... Basically, the first depiction we have, Hank's father's interesting because he he doesn't change through this story, but our perception of him keeps changing as we learn new things. Yes. Yeah. Right? Okay. And so we start out just knowing that he runs a grocery store, grocery store in, in Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah. Um, and then we're introduced to kind of his wife's resentment of him, but we don't quite know this story on that until there's a point where she calls him a coward and says, I know what you're doing with that criminal. And we learn shortly after that, that he, you know, like many of the small shopkeepers in Chinatown is paying off paying protection, right? Paying to protection the mafia, money basically to, yeah, to the local gang. Um, and she views that as a major failing on his, we also learn that he never drinks unlike the other men in the community. Um, and right. Like his world really is his grocery store. He just really cares about taking care of his family. His grocery and his son and, um, and, and his wife. Like he does seem yeah. to love his wife in a way that, we don't see her express. Yeah. yeah. Though we come to yeah. find out later that she, she feels guilty about that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's a point where he tells Hank when, when Hua has gotten very excited about turning Hank into a superhero, he says, look, I've been trying for 20 years to make your mother smile. And this idea is the first thing that's done that. Which is heartbreaking. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like um, you said, it, it never, like he's a steady rock yeah. in Hank's life. He is not changing. It's just our perception of him as we get these nuggets and these slivers of his backstory mm-hmm. revealed. Uh, we, we learn different things. Like I, uh, maybe it was just because I read it too quickly, but I did not uh, connect the drunk man that the turtle spirit joined to with Hank's father until the funeral yeah. when the turtle yeah. spirit leaves the, the casket or the yeah. coffin to, to talk to Hank. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've, we've had this view of him as this very gentle, home-oriented man who maybe is a coward, right? Mm-hmm. Who isn't willing to face up to these challenges. Um, but then after he dies, right, going to try and protect his family, um, because he rushes to the door when he realizes what's happening um, and tells Hank to go back upstairs, we learn that he used to be this fighter, who who was alcoholic and that that was he won every fight that he was in when he was drunk by <laughs> drinking. <laughs> like drinking yeah. was his superpower yeah right <laughs> it, it gave him this kind of like berserker immunity um but that he 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 ends up drunk 
and alone on a ship to America, not knowing how he got there. And then encounters this turtle spirit who tells him, you know, I can make you a promise. And, you know, one thing that you want, I can make it happen. And his one wish, because he wants to have this quiet life that he has never been able to have, is to never drink again. And so that that has been governing all of the decisions we've seen him make. Mm-hmm. Is right to just try and have this quiet life at home and defend this life for his family because he's given up this entire way of living that he had before just to make this happen. Um, and I think he's one of the most powerful characters. Yeah. I think in these six issues, you get a lot of really fleshed out yeah. uh, characters. and But they're, they're the way the fleshing out happens is different for each one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so for yeah. Hua, we see this version of her that is accurate. <laughs> and then she has to like break have a breakdown yeah. and, and realize herself that that's not who she wants to be. And, yeah. and she wants to make some different choices. For his father, we see him one way and we're given all these glimpses uh, into the backstory. Yeah. Uh, for De- Detective Lawful, it's it's like we see him at his worst and yeah. he realizes that I need to be better than this. But yeah. now let's talk a little bit of Hank. What do we yeah. have for the main character, you know, the shadow hero that's on the cover, the uh-huh. green turtle, the jade turtle, <laughs> you know, all these, all these different names that he has. What are we to make of him? What is it, What is motivating him, do you think? Yeah. I think one of the really interesting parts of that is just how little Hank wants to be a superhero when the idea is first introduced. Yeah. Right? We're, we're told, even before Superhero is mentioned, um, that his one goal in life is to be like his dad. Right? He wants to run a grocery store side by side with his father, have a family of his own carrying on the family business, and just have this quiet calm life that he's seen his father exemplify entirely in Chinatown, right? He's not, right? A lot of immigrant stories are these stories of assimilation and wanting to have, right? That's what American-born Chinese is at its core, is the story of wanting to be fully American, but knowing that you can't be. Mm-hmm. And Hank doesn't have that conflict. Yeah. Right? He he's content. has what he wants, <laughs> yeah. right? He is satisfied. And then he gets pushed away from that thing. Right, and is forced to face these challenges of assimilation and of identity and things like that. But but I love that the original the, the original call to action is just obedience to his mother. Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like oh, mom yep. wants me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, and at first he's like, maybe I won't do it, and then his dad's like, look, this is going to make your mom happy, right? And again, his dad is his hero, mm-hmm. and so when dad says, think of how happy you can make your mother, then he's like, okay. Um... And goes through all of the, you know, where he gets pushed into a pool of toxic <laughs> chemical waste. waste. Yeah. Uh, um, fed the herbs. Bitten by a radioactive dog. <laughs> um, is taken to a seance to see whether, you know, contacting ancestral spirits. Yeah. Um, and then finally this relentless... I, th- I think it's in the martial arts training that he starts being like, okay, maybe there's something to this, right? Like, like he's I pleased strong, that he's feeling right? stronger. Like to, yeah. yeah. Um, but then he, he loses very yeah. badly when he first goes out. Yeah. Um, and um, like we said, he's kind of like pushed into this role, but then he gets pulled back. Because after his father yeah. dies, his mom doesn't want that for him anymore. Like, Although it's there is this other moment that happens before his father, um, dies. father dies. After... 
the the gang first comes and demands the protection money. Um, and they steal and the necklace. Steals his father's That's when he puts necklace. on the the suit for the first time himself. Yeah, where he's he like, sees, "This is what I'm going to do." This is a chance to right to to go and fulfill what his mother wants, but also to redeem his dad. Redeem his dad, right? Who is his hero, and to kind of overcome this shame of seeing his dad get beat up by this gangster. Um, and he right it it goes well. He's able to confront the gangster. Scare the guy, take the necklace back, but then that's what brings that man to his home, right? And so it ends in this horrible tragedy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and then I, before he decides he's going to go get revenge himself, mm-hmm. it is like he, like, he kind of trusts the law. Like, okay, yeah. there's a good cop; he's going to do what yeah. he's supposed to do. And it's only after he finds out that the system is broken. And uh, uh, I think one is the one who tells him who really did it that um, – well, and, and even then, it's not like he's going for revenge. Like, he first finds out he has this kind of bulletproof power when he's just trying to keep a low profile and go pay the money again and not rock the boat any further. Um, yeah. And that's when he finds out that uh, he's got this superpower and the turtle spirit starts talking to him. And um, now he's going to – wear the costume, even though his mother doesn't want him to, and go try and work with the detective to bring in Mockbeak. Although he ends up changing the costume a lot, mostly because he can't sew, and his <laughs> mom refuses to help him. Yeah. Um, so he loses the shirt that so, says, Gold- yeah. was it Golden Man of Golden Victory? Man of Bravery. Of Bravery, yeah. that's what it was. Of Bravery. Yeah. Um, it has the Chinese character for gold, but then he tells his mom, like, no one will understand that here, so she adds English text to translate it. Um, which is a good call to the original comics that have these like mottos for each thing that are Chinese characters with, with English, English translations. translations. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. And so then he, he steps into this role, but then is he's struggling with kind of figuring out how things work um, in this city. And again, expecting justice to be a little bit more straightforward. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. we definitely have some of the, the classic, like bumbling first steps of a superhero. Yeah. And it's not just getting beat up the first time he goes out on patrol with his mom. It's like, even when he says, okay, now I'm really going to do this and I'm dedicated. Mm-hmm. It's still like, Oh, what does this actually look like? I need to go get some clues from detective lawful. I'm going to screw up. Yeah. Uh, trying to understand those clues. I'm going to think I win when I capture 10 grand, but it's going to turn out to be a guy in white. De- hair. It's yeah, a yeah, white guy. Yeah. It's decoy. In yellow face. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's... Um, there's there's a great moment where he's in disguise and he gets on the boat along with a bunch of other, you know, low-level Chinese mob guys who are coming to work at this casino. And then one of them realizes that he's infiltrating and shoots him. But of course the bullet misses and he just stands there. Um, and the turtle spirit is like, come on, you just got shot. Why aren't you acting like you've been shot? They're going to realize <laughs> yeah, what's going he's on. He's bad at And pretending. so he pretends <laughs> yeah. to die and falls off the boat. Um, well, and then even, I think what and interesting that happens is like in the end, so like he's on this boat and everything, his goal is to go capture 10 grand. Uh-huh. He screws up, gets the decoy. And then... He still doesn't ever capture ten grand. Yeah, <laughs> like he goes and fights ten grand, and actually like forces a stalemate more than a victory. Yeah, uh, and ten grand thinks it's so clever that he allows it, and then we find out like ten grand was ailing and was going to die soon, and yeah. he seems to have died off page, yeah. off panel. But 
his criminal organization still exists and is now being run by his daughters, and he's kind of in love with one of the daughters, is <laughs> yeah. where we leave things. Yeah. So he's not the most successful superhero uh, <laughs> that yeah. we've ever seen. Yeah, at this point. Uh, he did get Mockbeak in jail, yeah. and a weekend 10 grand enough, or, or ten, we got 10 grand's respect enough that he says, do whatever you want to Mockbeak, that, um, that he's in jail, and it seems like he shook up some of the uh, corruption within the police department. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not as though he has moved from uh, a dystopia to a utopia. Like he has yeah. not transformed the cityscape around him. And there's this great moment at the end where like word is getting out that he's a superhero because his mom can't keep her mouth shut about it. Um, and so after he's done this, you know, great thing where he's taken on the criminal underworld of Chinatown, this man comes in and is like, you're the green turtle, right? And he's like, I might be. And the the thing that the man wants him to do is go and chew out his brother-in-law who borrowed a tea kettle that hasn't returned it, right? So, like, he's being asked to do these really, like... Menial tasks. Me- like, beneath you any want a hero. superhero yeah. to take care of? Really? Yeah. Really? Um, and so, right, he's he's gained the respect of his community, but what they want from him maybe isn't quite what you'd expect. Yeah. And I, um, I think this also functions really well as um, setting up a, po- a possible future series where you see the heroes involved in World War II, which mm-hmm. was something of the Golden Age that you did see taking place, particularly on covers and in some of the adaptations more so than in the pages themselves. Like Superman on the covers was always super patriotic and during World War yeah. II, but he actually didn't go fight on the front lines very often. Yeah. But it's open for that. But at the same time, I'm... I'm really content with the story we have. So if yeah. that, you know, if the sales weren't there or Gene Liu and Yang moved on to other projects and we never got a sequel series of The Shadow Hero, this works as a self-contained yeah. story with the promise that there are future or further adventures, but it doesn't matter if you see them or not. Like, this was a good origin for this character. So I want to take a moment to discuss another character who's kind of lurked around the edges here, um, which is the the shadow, right? The green turtle um, spirit that kind of drives the narrative here, right? It starts the first thing we see, right? Hank gets introduced later, um, but our very first introduction is this debate between the the dragon, phoenix, tiger, and tortoise. Um, and then it's only halfway through the book that we learn how that connects mm-hmm. to anything um, with Hank and his family. But what what do you think the turtle himself is like as a character? It's really, I think that's a good question, because there's, like, I can't point, he, he's not like the quippy sidekick, even though he does make you laugh sometimes when he's like, hey, you just got shot. Pretend you've been <laughs> shot. Um, he's also not like the sage master, like Splinter to the Ninja Turtles or any of these other things. Um, he kind of chews him out sometimes when he's uh, particularly mm-hmm. about the wording of the promise. Like, I really wish you'd given me a broader promise to work with. <laughs> but you just. But it's not like he specified anything. <laughs> yeah, right? so he just like... said, Yeah, I need to give you a promise if I'm going to bond with you. Yeah. Um, and, and like, this is the source of his only superpowers that we get. Is this turtle figure, but there's something that remains very enigmatic um, about about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know. Like, do you, what, is there anything you can nail down about it? Yeah i I think the the turtle shadow is one of the most interesting characters here again, um, because he has this ambivalence where, right, he has all of this power. Right, he is 
you know, one of these four spirits of China as a nation, but who's kind of given up, right? Yeah. He's here because he's like, look, the problems China is facing are just too big to deal with. No one I'm believes in us anymore. Away, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the rest of them are debating over like, what method should we use to restore the dignity and honor of China? And he's just like, I'm, I'm getting on a boat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and I don't know how to do this. We're not given any motivation. All it says is the yep. turtle is silent and yep. then he leaves. And then he leaves. Right? <laughs> um, and there's a moment where the, the turtle shadow says that he and Hank's father were really alike. Right? That they're these fighters who were really ferocious, strong fighters, and then reached a point where they just couldn't do it anymore. Um, but at that point, he's like, maybe we should have. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe there's a value even in a fight that you can't win. Yeah. Um, and so I think the turtle is really wrestling with his own decisions and with, like, what is his role Yeah. in relation to, right, his connection to China. Well, and uh, again, this this p- potential thread of a future story mm-hmm. yeah. would be where we actually see some of those Golden yeah. Age comic book adventures, where we see, like, the, his yeah. involvement in the war effort would not be in Europe. It yeah. would be Green Turtle yeah. in China fighting off the Japanese. With and the shadow. With the shadow. Kind of fulfilling the, what we, his identity in relation yeah, to. Yeah, and, and so that would be the return yeah. of the turtle to China. Yeah. In a, in a way that you have to treat this as a prequel to those Golden Age stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, in those Golden Age stories, uh, I saw some of those panels. It is so weird that the shadow turtle figure was just there in <laughs> yep. those Golden Age panels with no explanation. I don't know if the there background. was an intent of like building a mystery around this or if it was just yeah. the artist having fun. Like there's a, uh, uh, a current Marvel artist, I think it's Umberto Ramos, who's famous for sneaking into uh, random frogs into the panels of every oh, uh-huh. uh, comic book that he draws. There's just like little cartoon frogs somewhere in the page of this comic book. You will find it when he's the artist. But this uh, Shadow Turtle in those Golden Age ones, it's really overt. It's like taking up yeah. a third of the panel with this grinning, sh- you know, black turtle through the shadow with yellow eyes. And yeah. um, for... Uh, Lang and uh, Yang and Lu to have picked that very strange element up and made, uh-huh. it, made it into one of the core threads, I think is really interesting. And what you're pointing out that where this origin story seems to be going is as much um, like a redemption of the the turtle, yeah, um, as it yeah. is the creation of this uh, Asian American superhero, yeah, and where he really has like in some ways a, a more traditional immigrant narrative than Hank does, right? Where Hank is completely satisfied with his Chinese-American world in Chinatown and with this regular life. But the turtle, right, has has this sense of conflict with his history and with the country that he came from and, like, does kind of want to leave that behind and exceptional identity, but then is like, no, I, I really have to, have to figure out how to do something um, for China. No, I like that. I'm glad you picked up on that because it, uh, it deepened the story for me to think about um, where this could be going for the turtle, particularly when you said that the uh, maybe we should have done more and yeah. to realize that that would be the next chapter in the Green Turtle's adventures would be that return to China that exists in those 1944 um, issues. Yeah. 
Well, do you have any final thoughts about Shadow Hero that you want to make sure we cover? I think that about covers it for now. It's a, it's a really amazing story. And I think Hank really is a fantastic character. Yeah. And, well, and again, I'm just very impressed with how much development was able to be given to these side characters in these six issues. This mm-hmm. is um, in an era where a lot of comic book story is very, uh, storytelling is very decompressed. Uh-huh. Um, there's yeah. a, just a lot of depth that exists within these six issues in telling this story. It's clearly very tightly crafted. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the strengths of uh, Jean Lu and Yang is that you can read these stories and get a lot out of it and enjoy the reading. But then as you sit and talk about them, you realize, oh, there's so much more right here and right here. And, and pick up this one little thread and realize that there's a whole theme running through it that you hadn't mm-hmm. even appreciated. Uh, but that is very uh, clearly deliberate and, yeah. and very present within it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 125, when we talked about American-born Chinese, or episode number 231, when we talked about Boxers and Saints, both of which were uh, written by Gene Liu and Yang, or episode number 182, when we talked about XKCD, with Matt Athias. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Matt Athias, is there anything you want to promote at all? Um, I actually just do want to give a shout out to, if you love this or any other Gene Lu and Yang stuff, Sonny Liu, who is the artist on this. He also has um, his own graphic novel called The Art of Charlie Chanhawk Chai, which, like this, is riffing on the history of comics through its the fictional biography of a Singaporean comics pioneer, where it's telling the story of his life along with these made-up comics that he writes, but during different all of these different of, eras, showing uh, the styles of different really periods. And it's really fascinating how it deals, again, with these questions of ethnic and cultural identity mm-hmm. and nationality, but then also comics history. That sounds a bit like how um, comics developed. As well. One of my favorite books is The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, yeah. which does yeah. a very similar thing of embedding this uh-huh. fiction, these fictional creators and this fictional hero that they made up, like, meaning like, yep. this is a character that never really existed, but embedding it within the fabric of the actual history yeah. of the comic book industry. It pretty much is the Asian version yeah, of Yeah, whereas Cavalier and Clay is very much the Jewish yep. uh, exploration yep. of this. All right, well, thank you again for joining us, Mattathias, and thank you listeners for downloading this episode. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Twice lesser known, I guess we could say. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, sorry. I completely lost my sight here. Okay.